Joining us this evening is a longtime favorite guest on the Empower Hour, Mr. David Lindsay. David has been involved in freedom issues for over 30 years, and he continues to be a driving force in the ongoing opposition to the COVID-19 fraud. He focuses on teaching a correct understanding and application of common law, which, surprising to many people, originates in the Bible. He is the author of several books, including the Annotated Criminal Charge procedure in Canada, and he also teaches online seminars where he empowers Canadians to stand up against our corrupt government. Tonight, David will be discussing our guaranteed rights and how to assert them confidently and knowledgeably when approached by law enforcement and other officials. He will also be going over the rights of Canadians to practice peaceful civil disobedience. It's always such a treat to have David on the Empower Hour as he shares his vast knowledge with us. Will you all please help me welcome David Lindsay. Hello, David. Good evening. How are you guys doing? Good, David. Thank you so much for that again, Heather. Uh, David, it's so good yes. to have you on. Boy, when I look back at, was it two and a half years ago, I met you <laughs> at the Victoria yeah. Legislature, and and the way the wow. reason you and I united is because we were talking about Canada actually being founded on biblical principles and how critically yeah. important that is to our freedoms. And a lot of people, you know, they would uh, they didn't really want to have the conversations back there, but I think things are shifting. And um, you have been a regular guest on the show as we have worked very diligently to e educate Canadians help them to understand their constitutional rights, not only through the Constitution, but by that beloved buried treasure that we've spoken about, the Coronation Oath. And you've, yeah. you're just almost wrapping up like a 15-week course that you're going to have it available, and I'm going to want you to cover that as well when you get the floor. And then we've had webinars on um, how to lay criminal charges against other citizens. So you have been a, a great resource and a wealth of information, not only, you know, for the Action for Canada team, but extended to all of our members and all of Canadians. And, and so I just want to thank you again for coming on. I'm going to hand you the floor, talk about whatever's on your heart, and then I'll be back in a little bit and we'll have some discussion. Sure. Thank you very much for um, <clears throat> for having me on again tonight, and um, it's wonderful to see everybody back here as well. Um, I think one of the things that has developed over the last three years that really, maybe outside of Quebec, really wasn't an issue, was the right of protesting. It, it didn't seem to happen very often. Quebec has a, a bit of a longer history, I think, of doing that, but uh, at least in the media, but... For the most part, protesting seemed to be an, um, either an anomaly or something that scared people off in the rest of Canada. Part of that, of course, is, is the media itself. Um, when people see pictures of, of protests on the media, what do they see? They see cut and paste of, of videos and pictures from all over the world of people throwing bricks and rocks and, uh, you know, um, all kinds of um, gas bombs and everything else. And people get the impression that that's what happens at rallies and protests, that that is the norm. And far from it, especially here in Canada, where virtually all protests that have taken place have been peaceful. 
throughout Canada. The RCMP here in British Columbia and in Kelowna have, uh, have repeatedly, repetitively announced that they are happy that all the protests here have been peaceful. And as a result, that is kind of an admission as well that with the protests being peaceful, there's virtually nothing they can do to stop them. And I, I suppose that is the, the starting point that I wanted to mention tonight is the absolute freedom that everybody has in Canada to protest, especially against your governments and what they're doing, which is unlawful and unconstitutional. Uh, it's morally and religiously wrong and ethically wrong, and it's wrong in virtually every way you can look at it. And as a result, the majority of, uh, I shouldn't say the majority, but a lot of people in Canada have taken to the streets over the last two and a half years. In Little Kelowna, we had up to 2,000 people. And in Vancouver, I think there was 10 to 15,000 people and a lot more in, in various other areas across Canada that were exercising their right to protest. And it's a, um, a really critically important right that hopefully more people will participate in in the future. One of the, um, the things we also participate in here was protesting at our schools for a variety of reasons. Um, we protested on the mask issue and we were handing out flyers to some of the students here at the schools. And this was shortly, shortly before BC brought in legislation some, well, allegedly to ban that from within 60 feet of the, uh, of the schools. But what they told the public and what the legislation says is entirely different. If you have legislation in your area of the country, in your province or municipality, that is being used to allegedly stop you from protesting somewhere, it's critically important to read word for word what that says and compare that to what the government is saying because we found out here that their legislation uh, that they promoted as saying you can't come within 60 feet of a school only meant you can't go within 60 feet of a school if you're doing one of the three specified activities, um, preventing people from coming in and out of the, uh, the buildings and a couple of other ones that were there. And if you weren't doing those, and you, you could still peacefully be there right on the sidewalk. And that is entirely different from what the government stated. And, you know, it reminds me going back to 1917 when Sir Thomas White, the finance minister at the time, said that income tax was, uh, the Income War Tax Act was only going to be temporary. And then he, he told that to everybody in Canada. And then he went into uh, Parliament and he said that it was going to be here for all time. This is what these, these people in government do is they mischaracterize and misrepresent not only your rights and freedoms, but they mischaracterize the legislation that they're trying to put in or have put into place. Fortunately, the, the legislation here in BC, though it hasn't been challenged, expires in July of next year. But it's important to recognize that that right of protest cannot be taken away. If it could be taken away then BC would have passed a statute that says nobody can come within 60 feet who is doing a protest of a school, and they would have left it at that. No matter what the results were, whether you were impeding people from coming and going or intimidating people, it wouldn't have mattered. They would have just unilaterally blanketed everybody in BC and said, you cannot protest in front of a school or a hospital. But they didn't do that. And they didn't do that because they knew they could not do that. 
blanket legislation that takes away your right to protest would never, ever withstand a, uh, a charter challenge, period. It just would never get that far. And the right to protest, of course, is based on freedom of expression and freedom of speech. Majority of times, we don't have the ability to get what we want said and get what we want heard. The media doesn't uh, put it out there. We have a lack of funds to be able to uh, get, let's say, billboards or advertising happening. And of course, your members of parliament and your uh, MLAs in your province, they won't do anything because they're bought and paid for by the party leader. So as a result, a lot of the activity that we have to take comes about through protests to getting the public aware of what it is we stand for and the information we have that is not available to the public because of what they're, um, what the people in the media and the government are withholding from people, for example. So we need to exercise this right uh, more appropriately a freedom and we need to exercise it much more often than what we're doing right now. Um, they've had a major effect and have scared scared the heck out of governments all over Canada, especially the, the truckers' protest. Um, it inspired people around the world. It inspired people in Canada. Um, I find it interesting. Trudeau is, is coming out publicly in support of all the protesters in China who videos show we're throwing rocks and bombs and everything else at the police. And yet he won't support the peaceful demonstrators and protesters here in Canada at the truckers' convoy, and as opposed to those. Uh, clearly a, uh, a massive hypocrite that we have in power right now. Um, one of the things that we felt was important on this notice, um, or guidelines I should say, was the recognition of privacy rights in Canada, because they underscore everything. All your rights and freedoms mean nothing if you do not have privacy. We talk about this constantly at our, our protest here in Kelowna of the importance of privacy in every aspect what you do. Um, you could have absolute 100% trust in your best friends, but that's not the issue. The issue is if somebody from the government gets a hold of them and gives them a subpoena to go to court for some reason, then they're faced with a quandary of whether they lie under oath to protect you or they can legitimately say, I don't know, he never told me anything. And that's what you want to avoid for your friends and family a lot of it too. It's not that they're not trusted because certainly they are. It's that you want to make sure that you don't give the government a potential weapon to be used against you and put them in a problem either. So privacy is critical everything. And of course, the most important is cash, um, using that for everything. But when you're protesting, privacy is important as well. When, when you go there to protest, you don't want to be bringing a lot of things with you. You don't want to be bringing a lot of ID. They don't need to know what credit cards you have, so why bring them? Um, one piece of ID is generally sufficient. If you're going to go there and you're going to protest, they don't need anything more. And if you're going to go there, don't bring a lot of money. I mean, I personally have met people that carry $10,000 a day in their pants, in their pockets. And in average everyday walking around, I guess, nobody knows. It may not make a difference. But if you're going to go to a protest where, as Tanya said, the police may be on a power trip, the last thing you want to be doing is walking around with a lot of money. In BC, that can be emphasized even more when you've got uh, idiots like 
Ebby, the, the premier now, who is going public and saying that we're going to pass a law that if you can't justify where you got your wealth from, it's going to get forward, forfeited to the crown and they're going to take it. Um, that's going to be subject of another day, but I'm pointing that out to say when you, when you do go in and protest, think about the things you're going to bring with you. If you're taking a phone, Try and lock everything so that the, the, the police or anything can't get into your phone either when you're there. You don't want them accessing your pictures. Um, you don't want them accessing your emails. Lock them out on, on everything as much as you can. Or if you've got a dummy uh, spare phone, take a phone with absolutely nothing on it. And the only thing that will be on it will be your videos and pictures you take. And that would be, uh, that would be much better as well. These... Rights and freedoms that we're, that we're exercising are critically important, and the government hates them. They hate anybody who exercises them because it exposes what they're doing in a manner that they can't control. They can control lawyers in a courtroom, but they can't control you on the street. And the Supreme Court of Canada has recognized on a number of occasions the importance of the, not only importance of, of this freedom, but the extent that it goes to. One person, for example, was um, taken to court for violating a regulation that prohibited handing out leaflets at an air, inside an airport. And that went to the Supreme Court of Canada, and they were very clear in a unanimous decision that you have a constitutional right to hand out leaflets inside an airport as long as you're not infringing anybody doing it. You can't cause a disturbance doing it, for example. But on the basis that we all protest peacefully, which includes handing out informational packages and leaflets and so on. These people can't stop you. They can't stop you at all. Interestingly enough, in that decision, Lammer wrote that the right to peaceful protest includes on the roads. And if it includes on the roads, then it includes the sidewalks. So you have a constitutional liberty to protest on sidewalks, outside of schools, outside of hospitals, as long as you're not infringing somebody's ability to get in and out of the building. And I thought that was, was critically important when he recognized that fundamental aspect of what we're doing. So when you're in front of schools, they, you have that, that liberty to be there. And that, let that ground, ground you in your heart and, and everything you're doing to believe that you have that power to be there, that liberty to be there. You don't want to be thinking to yourself, should I be here? I shouldn't be here. Then you're not certain of what you're doing. And you may not be certain of your convictions of what you believe in for being there. Ultimately, you want to make sure you understand that you have a constitutional liberty to be at these places and to be there to protest and hand out leaflets. And Sapinka, as well, in the same decision, recognized that streets and parks have historically been used for demonstrations for protests. And consequently, you, are, you have a constitutional right, liberty is a better word, to be able to use those. Use them to your advantage and do so peacefully, because peaceful civil disobedience and peaceful protests are something that they, they really they have no power over. And we wanted to emphasize this in this guide, in these guidelines, that you have the liberty, you have the freedom to be there. 
And if they're going to pass statutes like they did in BC, they're highly unconstitutional if they were passed in a broad sense to say you can't be there at all. But the fact that they word them in a manner that if you read it very closely, it says you can be there, just don't do certain things like interfere with somebody or intimidate them. And that's fine because we don't do that anyway. And it's, it's important that you can be at these places and don't let them to tell you otherwise. And protesting isn't um, simply about expressing your opposition to what the government is doing. Protesting involves education of others. You want to be able to get your points across that you're making. For example, on the soji material, on all the materials they're doing in the, uh, the school system in relation to that right now, you want to be able to get facts across to those parents that they are not eligible otherwise because the schools are telling the kids not to tell their parents about what they're being taught. And as a result, if you don't stand up at the schools and tell them, who's going to do it? Because it's not going to be the media or anybody else. And consequently, your right to protest does include, by necessity, the power to hand leaflets out to anybody going in and out of that facility while you're there. And critically, as long as your informational pamphlets that you're handing out are professionally done, you're fine. And you should be able to give those out, not just to the parents, but to the students as well. To all of them that are going in there, you should be able to get that. The benefit of having a lot of that material in writing is it prevents the government from falsifying charges against you as well. And if your materials you're handing out are professionally done and they're accurate and truthful, they really take away all that power to, to lay, say, hate charges against you, for example. And we wanted to emphasize that as well in these guidelines that any allegation that you are promoting hate is fundamentally wrong and unsupported. And you need to stand up to anybody and say, no, we are not opposing that hate in the sense that it's defined in the criminal code. You are entitled to hate the material that they're bringing out. Um, if you look in the Bible, many times God said he hated various aspects of various things that were, doing, uh, that were being done. So you have, and as I've said this for a long time, you have a constitutional right to hate. It's not something you want to do very often because it's a negative emotion. You definitely want to focus on love. But you're right to be able to hate that material. Absolutely. It's not good. It's, it's very evil material they're handing out. But don't allow them to um, try and charge you under the criminal code because you are doing nothing that's unlawful by expressing your, your emotions and by expressing your dissatisfaction with that material that's being handed out. You have every constitutional liberty to do so. And if you didn't, saying that you have a right to be there, to be on the street, but you couldn't talk to anybody or, or hand out brochures to anybody would be futile. It would be meaningless. Just you picture people standing there with a sign, which has its own power. People could read the signs that are slowly going in, but they would have no information and no evidence to back it up. So those brochures are incredibly important to be able to, uh, to get out there. Your freedom of speech, freedom of assembly rights are all contained in Section 2 of the Charter. And all those rights are looked at synonymously. Um, although they're individually listed, they all under, follow under the same rubric. And they're all considered, or usually considered anyway, together. 
So part of the, the right, that, that liberty that you have also includes the liberty to approach your city councils. And you can have protests in front of council if you don't approve of what they're doing. The Supreme Court of Canada has recognized on several occasions your right to uh, liberty to demonstrate and protest in front of parliament, the legislatures, and your municipal buildings, your government buildings where they're doing that. So that's something to keep in mind. And that right of protest, as long as it's done according to the rules, allows you to go into um, city council chambers and make representations as well. Now, these protests, we've said the term before, but I want to emphasize they have to be peaceful. And if somebody in the crowd is being boisterous or uh, causing problems or doing something, causing disturbance, doing something they shouldn't be doing, then you want to just back away from them. They can't arrest you for being at a protest because somebody else is breaking the law at that same protest. I want to emphasize that. If somebody else is breaking the law, they can be arrested. If somebody's starting fights, for example, they could be arrested. But that doesn't mean you can. Back away and just stay away from them. And make sure that you cannot even be associated with them. And there's nothing that they can do to you. Simply being there when other people are breaking the law does not give the officers the power to make any arrests for anybody who is not breaking the law, period. Recently, um, several months ago, some of the Kelowna bylaw officers came up to our protests on Saturdays and they said, David, we have a question for you. And I just looked at him and I said, you know what? I don't answer questions. I ask them. And he looked at me and I asked a few questions of him, which he would not answer. And he wanted to know if I had a permit. And I just kept repeating it. I don't answer questions. I ask them. And generally speaking, that's the philosophy you should follow. If police officers, despite the good cop, bad cop routine, who are being nice to you, if they're asking you questions, be respectful and just say, sorry, I don't, ask, I don't answer questions. I have the right to remain silent if you want to put it in those politically correct terms as well. But you can ask them questions. And you can ask a lot of questions. Those police officers are required to have ID badges on them or to provide their name to you or an ID number, something that you can identify them with. And the Supreme Court of Canada and other cases have come down very harshly on officers who refuse to identify themselves, very, very harshly. And that can come back to harm them in the long run if they refuse to identify themselves. When you're interacting with the, the, um, the government at all times, it's important to be respectful, of course. Part of being peaceful is being respectful. And they kind of go hand in hand together in the sense that if you're not being peaceful, you're going to be causing problems for other people and not giving them the respect that they deserve, right? And um, it's unfortunate that at some of the protests, people get ticketed and or people do get charged. When we first started our protests in Kelowna, I got three charges from the RCMP for not complying with the, I think, six-foot distance bylaw or order that Bonnie Henry had issued. Subsequently, the Crown stayed all charges and they were all dropped and they didn't go anywhere anyway. But 
ultimately, um, you need to be prepared to stand on your constitutional rights and liberties and don't bow down. If they're going to ticket you and they're going to charge you, don't resist. Give them your name. Let them know who you are. And if they're going to give you a ticket, take the ticket. You can write on the ticket. I am not waiving any of my rights and freedoms. And let them know in no uncertain terms that you don't agree with what they're doing. But the problem uh, with identification, especially at common law, since the police first started, is that if you don't identify yourself, under the criminal code, they can hold you in custody for as long as it takes so that they're certain they know who they're dealing with. Not only that, if you refuse to identify yourself, and I'm talking after you've been arrested or detained, if, they, if you refuse to identify yourself, then they'll hold you to it until they can ID you. And if they think that you're not going to come back to court or come to court on an appearance notice or, a, um, or on a summons, if they think, well, you know, they're not telling us who they are, we could give them a summons and uh, they're just not going to show up anymore. They might hold you to bring you before a judge. My recommendation is if the police do, if they do charge you or arrest you or detain you, give them your name. You can hold them legally accountable down the road, civilly, and if they put you under arrest, and there is nothing there to put you under arrest for, then you can also hold them criminally accountable for, um, for assault. So be, um, be playful in respect to them and um, let them know in no uncertain terms. If they can't show you the law, then you're staying and you're not going anywhere. And let them make the first move. The fundamental principle of our law is that you have the liberty to be there. That's the essence of freedom. If they're going to take it away, they have the obligation to justify it. You do not have to justify why you're there. Number one, your actions speak for itself. You're there because you're opposing whatever it is you're there for. Putting that aside, you don't have to tell them anything, not a word, about why you're there. And if they're thinking of laying a charge, anything you say will be used against you, even if it's said prior to the arrest. So it's a good, a good example, um, maybe have a spokesman in your group, and that is the only person that will talk to the police if they're there. Um, I know at our protests and so on, if the police or security ever come, they just come directly up to me. They won't talk to anybody else in the, uh, in the crowd, and, and I generally talk to them, and, and it gets handled generally pretty good. But um, if they don't know anybody there, then somebody should be, you know, a good idea to designate somebody, especially somebody who's got a basic understanding of their rights and freedoms and the law and what the police can and cannot do. If they put you under detainment, which is basically saying you're not under arrest, but they're holding you because maybe you're a person of interest or they think something uh, might turn up, again, you're not required to talk to them, say a word to them. They can do a pat-down search very quickly um, just to see, make sure you don't have weapons on you and so on. And uh, they have to release you as quickly as possible once they determine that you've done nothing wrong. So they're not allowed to hold you for hours and hours at a time if you're under detainment. If you're under arrest, however, um, 
I want to mention one thing right off the bat. Very, 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 very few people are ever arrested at a protest. And the concept people have of people throwing rocks and everybody causing damage simply doesn't happen in Canada. People need to lose that fear that if they come out to a public demonstration, that that is what's going to happen because it doesn't. And the police rarely, rarely, if, if ever, charge anybody or arrest anybody. Sometimes you might get a ticket under the, uh, the COVID stuff, which for the most part is, is gone now. But um, I, I don't recall really too many people being arrested at, at protests. So keep that in mind that the fact that you're at a protest, there's a presumption at law you have a liberty to be there and you're not going to be arrested unless you do something wrong. And um, what else did we put in here? Um, Give me one second here. Um, I was going to as well, David, I wanted to bring the screen up for a moment. And sure. uh, just to give the viewers an idea, you were talking, you were covering something earlier. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I think it's um, important so that people can understand when there is some sort of legislation or an act passed, it is a good idea to go in and read it in its entirety. And when you were giving the example of being outside of a school and the government wanted to restrict any protests outside of city council office, healthcare facilities, and as well outside of schools, they came up with an act, and this is just an example for BC, where they said that you could not access zones that you may not impede access to or aggress from the facility, physically interfere with or otherwise disrupt the provision of services at the facility, intimidate or attempt to intimidate an individual or otherwise do or say anything that could reasonably be expected to cause an individual concern for the individual's physical or mental safety. And when you and I were going through this the other night and you had brought this um, section, of, uh, section up of the BC Act, we were like, well, wait a minute. That means that this 60-foot uh, uh, non-access outside of schools doesn't apply because we wouldn't be causing any physical or mental threat. Handing out a flyer is not uh, a, a physical or mental threat. We're not blocking any access to the schools or sidewalks, and uh, we're not physically interfering with or disrupting the services to the school. And, and so, you know, once when you're speaking about it, it's one thing about actually to see how sneaky they were to try to say that you, one may be required to stay at least 20 meters or 60 feet from the boundary line of all schools, hospitals, as well as uh, vaccination and testing sites. Um, you know, yeah, so I'll just I'll stop share screen there. Uh, was there anything else on here that you wanted me to bring up as you were going through the points? Yeah, there was one other, I was just going to get into it on, um, sec where I've listed section 175 and 180 of, um, and 430 of the criminal code. Right, that's uh, right here. I, yeah, I've been in this situation before, and I want to mention it to everybody because it's one of the favorite tricks that police officers play. They will put you under arrest for no reason, you've done nothing wrong, and Backing up, this is one of the, the critical reasons of importance that you need at least one, if not two people there doing constant video work mm -hmm. on everything. And they will put you under arrest and they'll say, uh, you'll ask what you're under arrest for and they'll say causing a disturbance. Meanwhile, you've done absolutely nothing. 
if if you look, for example, right there, Tanya, if you look and it says everyone who not being in a dwelling house causes a disturbance in or near a public place by fighting, screaming, shouting, swearing, and so on. And the officers will come up and they will say, well, you were screaming, you were swearing, and uh, you were doing this or doing that. That alone is not sufficient grounds to put you under arrest for causing a disturbance. They have to show that screaming and swearing and yelling actually caused an externally manifested disturbance among some other people who weren't even involved. People walking down the street, for example, or something. So it's it's important to really understand that these guys will, these police officers frequently have falsified charges just to get you off the protest line. And it's important to always ask them questions. What exactly did I do that you're saying caused the disturbance? Okay, you were yelling and screaming and swearing. Okay, what evidence do you rely upon that there was a disturbance caused? Because if you're in the middle of the woods and you're yelling and screaming and swearing, there's no disturbance. It has to have a relationship component where other people are going to give evidence and say, yeah, I was disturbed. And in most cases, that's simply not the case. And it's the same with causing a nuisance or common mischief, for example. They could falsify those charges on you. And if they do, you want to know exactly at that time what it is that they're relying upon. And it will prevent them from falsifying facts or evidence in the future. And it will help you to expose that what they've done is wrong. Many times the Crown, and they've done it with me, where uh, an officer has said, you're under arrest for causing disturbance. I get hauled away. And you find out a couple months later, the Crown says, now nah, we're just staying the charge. They're not going anywhere because there was nothing there to begin with. That's when you can start taking legal action against the police officers who've done that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just absolutely uh, important as well that you need to know how to get information that you can use um, in your favor. And to that end, at the very end, we've noticed that um, you can do access and privacy requests on the RCMP. And you can also go provincially, most of them provincially, they combine them. And you can get information there from the, if it's a local police department, to get information that they have. All their, You can get all their notes, all their emails, and the attachments that go with it, all their instructions, any phone calls that were made. If somebody phones in a complaint, you can get that phone call and what was said. Um Anything that that you want in relation to what you were doing at that protest, you can get subsequent to the day after the fact, you can get that through access to information. And I would urge everybody to take advantage of those provisions and find out what they're doing. Ultimately, the the whole um, objective of these guidelines is to empower you to know Mm -hmm. that you have the liberty to be there and take confidence in that liberty that you have. And as long as you're obeying the law and not doing anything unlawful, and as long as their orders are lawful, then there's nothing they can do to to get you away. I think it's important that people be as close in proximity as you can to where you want to be, whether it's a school or a hospital, as long as you're not interfering uh, with people going in uh, in and out of the building. And you, you have that right to be there. 
Good. David, before I stop sharing screen, I just want to let people know that this resource of Know Your Rights, it's going to be the guidelines and we will be putting it on, under resources and we will include this uh, Empower Hour video in there as well. I mean, it will be on the Empower Hour page, but for future, if you want quick access to it, I think it'll be best to have this video on the guidelines page. And what David was talking about earlier is that it is, um, and it's in the uh, guidelines was that we need to be with consistent and ongoing engagement because that is uh, the voice of the people needs to continue to press into elected officials and we need to engage until the required change has been achieved. And uh, just as good news to show that what Action for Canada is doing nationwide by um, applying this, by training our chapter leaders and our members, like everybody, all of our viewers here today, is that you can achieve these same wins. So in Ontario, the government had started mumbling about mandating masks for children. So the Ottawa School Board and the Durham School Board uh, decided that they were going to be one of the ones to have the first vote. Well, because of the specific work of our chapter leaders and rallying the people to come to the school board trustee uh, meetings and do their civic duty. I mean, we have a duty to uh, maintain the rules and the laws when we are faced with uh, oppressors and violators of those laws. They will just carry on and get away with it unless we engage them and unless we speak up and put a stop to it. And uh, because of the work of our teams in Ontario, they got an overwhelming nine to two vote against masking. The school board trustees voted nine to two. Now in Ottawa, uh, this was a really um, intense one. When I was saying earlier, uh, just before bringing David on, I was talking about how school board trustees, you know, they become very overly sensitive and they don't want to have conversations. If the government has mandated something, whether it's illegal or not, they're going along with it. And again, because of the uh, Ottawa school board uh, making that decision and leaning towards the masking, parents were engaging and, you know, the things were getting heated up because people are feeling desperate and uh, it went till the first meeting, I think it was on a Monday night, went till 10.30 p.m. and they finally shut it down because, uh, you know, they could see that there wasn't going uh, to be a decision made that night. So several days later, they ended up having a vote and it ended up six to six. And because it was six to six, the no's won. And this took teamwork, this took meetings in advance, this took committed citizens willing to show up and voice their concerns. It was a doctor who was behind masking the children. And, and so, of course, the school board and trustees, you know, would probably be more apt to think, well, a doctor is showing up and they would know best about masking, even though they don't have any evidence to provide doing this. But they do have the counter evidence. We have the counter evidence that this is causing rashes to children, psychological harm, etc. And so we're, we're very excited about this. Um, I'm going to be having a letter coming out next week. A thank you to our donors and supporters and our volunteers with a whole lot more uh, good news, uh, good news reports and wins. And this is just the beginning. And it is because of good people like David, Lindsay coming on, joining us in webinars and Zooms to educate all of you. And so I, I just need all of you who are viewing and those who will view this video afterwards to really embrace this. 
and and to understand that freedom is not just a given. Every day we need to fight for it, and it's obviously not just passed on to the next generation. And and so we're in the fight of our lives as they try to march little Marxist soldiers out of the school system with all of this propaganda and to gain control of them. And uh, we have a duty to to protect our kids. So, okay, so David, I was hoping because it is um, almost 6 o'clock, if we could get into a time of Q&A, because I imagine there's probably a lineup of hands that are up, and I know the Q&A sure. is filling up with questions as well, like 22 of them. <laughs> before, we, so, before we get there, I just wanted one okay. comment I wanted to make. Um, we had rallies and protests here right across from City Hall the whole time of, of COVID. And former Mayor Bazrin came out publicly, specifically against all of us, but me in particular, and accusing us that the science was on his side. So I went public with a challenge to a public debate, and we had our protest ongoing, and we continually, everything we could to expose him. We showed up at city council, and when it was over and they were standing up to leave, I challenged him in front of all the other councillors to a public debate on the science in relation to COVID. Every other counselor looked at him, his face turned kind of red, and he was just kind of, no, 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 we don't, we don't want to go there. And by the time the election came about this fall, not just me, not just our group, but everybody involved in freedom had a major input, input in promoting other people, and he was not reelected. And mm. somebody else is now in power. Between the work that you're doing in getting people into a lot of school trustees, and other places. And we did get one or two people elected here that are supporting freedom. And we got rid of some people who are opposed to freedom. Mm -hmm. And you've said before about the low hanging fruit to go after them. This is where we're starting politically on, on getting mm -hmm. them at the local level. The mm -hmm. protests in front of your councils, in front of your MPs and MLAs, in front of their office buildings will have an effect. I know, for example, in Penticton, they're doing one on a regular basis in front of uh, NDP member Richard Cannings. And they're having an effect down there as well because they're exposing everything he's doing. So keep that in mind with uh, with everybody there. Your, your right to your freedom um, and liberty to protest Um will have significant effects. Instant gratification is normally not the, the way it goes. But if you're, if you're, you've got a lot of stick-to-itiveness, you will get success. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I, for one, am grateful for everything Tanya's done because they've got it out all across Canada. And people have ran in elections supporting freedom for the first time that has never mm -hmm. been done in, in history before. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really amazing. We've had uh, several chapter leaders who ended up having to st uh, step away to run, um, who have actually won positions across Canada. And, you know, their comments were, we're so grateful to have been uh, part of this journey with Action for Canada because they were so well-versed and well-educated on the issues. And uh, basically, you know, the average person might have had a business degree and decided to run as a as a city councillor. Well, that business degree has nothing to do with with what's going on in the world right now and it, it's not relevant uh you know on on the scope of what we're facing and when you were t saying about exposing and taking on mayor Bazarin, i think of that movie i was shouting in my head you can't handle the truth <laughs> and <laughs> you know basically that's what it is right is they really yeah. can't handle the truth they want to put their fingers in the ear saying hear no evil see no evil speak no evil i'm just listening to what the government is mandating even if that means sexualizing 
hospitalizing our children. And it's just been shocking. So we really do have a job ahead of us. And we are tipping that scale in the right direction. Uh, school board trustees and the meetings that we're having is uh, the pushback and the liability is really beginning to have an effect. And I'm going to be excited uh, to be able to talk about more of those wins. But it takes everybody on this call to be participating in whatever way that you can. So David, uh, was there anything that I had interrupted before I brought the uh, document up that you had wanted um, to cover or could we go into Q&A? Well, the only other thing I wanted to cover is just to let people know that they do have a fundamental right to civil disobedience in Canada. Yes. Um, simply because something is passed does not make it law that you have to comply with it. Um, civil disobedience generally was defined in Canada as a nonviolent act where you're not complying with the particular uh, statute and are telling, challenging its legitimacy or, or its morality, for example. And the criteria are pretty simple. Um, you have to identify the law that you're challenging. You have to refuse to comply with it. It has to be nonviolent. And um, you have to accept the legal consequences of what's going to happen afterwards. And many people, they absolutely do win on that type of, um, on, on that type of a challenge. And I think it was um, Richard O'Sullivan that he pointed out that if we have a duty to God, then we have rights against the state. And what that means is it comes down to your conscience. Do you comply with the statute, even though you know in your heart and your conscience it's wrong, or do you comply with God's laws who is giving you that conscience in the first place? And it, it will come down to the fact that you're going to have to refuse to comply with them and uh, and not go along with it. And I, I want to give a quote that Etchan Dilabwedi said. He wrote a book called um, The Politics of Obedience 400 years ago on why people, why do they comply with all these tyrants that they have in government? Mm. And he had a, a very excellent comment, and he said, from all these indignities such as the very beasts of the field would not endure, you can deliver yourself if you try, not by taking action, but merely by willing to be free. Resolve to serve no more, and you are freed. I don't ask that you place your hands on the tyrant to topple them, but merely that you that you support him no longer, and then you will behold him like a giant colossus whose pedestal has been pulled away, fall of his own weight, and break into pieces. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> it was a phenomenal book, and, and, and he's correct, even 400 years ago. Just don't support these people. And... Hmm. You know, you don't have to wait for the Supreme Court of Canada five years later to say, okay, you know, it's unlawful, now you can go ahead and do it. If the statute, the order is unlawful, if it's a violation of your rights, then take the high ground and the moral ground. You have a constitutional right to civil disobedience, which goes back to the coronation oath. If the monarch is breaking that oath, then you have a duty not to comply with it. And for those that have been on our webinar, they know what I'm talking about when I talk about the fundamentals of law, rights and privileges and duties and so on. And if um, if you have a right, then there's a duty. And um, with the coronation oath, there's a duty on the monarch to make sure that all the orders from her and all bureaucrats do not violate God's laws. If she violates that duty, then you have the power to say, I'm not complying with it. Mm -hmm. And I want everybody to know in your heart, in your soul, in your conscience, for everybody to know 
If those orders are unlawful, if they're unconstitutional, if they take away your right to breathe, as, as Tanya mentioned earlier, and a variety of other effects, you have the power at law to say, I'm not complying with it. And I urge everybody, everybody, to take that high road and say, we will not comply and mm -hmm. be confident in what you're doing. Don't beg to them. Don't say, please don't hurt me. You go up to them and say, what you're doing is wrong. We will not comply and stand that ground because you have that power. Yeah, I, I love it, David. And, you know, it just triggered in my thought again. Uh, I've mentioned it multiple times. And the way that Action for Canada is standing up to the government with the notices of liability and with the additional letters. And even with this SOGI campaign, uh, the comprehensive sexual education to get these rotten, nasty pornographic books out of the libraries and uh, to completely remove the soji. There is no middle ground on this because it is absolutely the basis for all things evil. Uh, sites that I'm learning that kids are further being exposed to, gay porn sites. Uh, we didn't have this. We didn't have this going on before. And uh, that is the reason we've pushed back and said, no more, you need to remove this. It's unlawful to sexually exploit children is the reason that the media is doubling down, trying to support the radical radical LGBTQ agenda, that the government is coming out trying to defend their position, as well as the unions, and as well as the head of the ARC Foundation, and as well as, uh, as library associations across Canada and BC and the Canadian Federation of Library Associations. They're not doing that because they feel comfortable. They are speaking out because they are seeing they need, that there is a need for them to try to try to defend their position. And there is no defense for what they're doing. And so exactly to what David is saying, as we stand up to uh, these tyrants, as, they t as we tell them that what they're doing is unlawful, they already know it. And when you see them on the defensive, we're halfway there. We're going to topple that tyrant and we're going to take away the base, as David was saying Absolutely. in that poem, together, <laughs> right? We can't just do this one of us. A couple of us can get this ball rolling, but we need all of you on board and helping out. Okay, so uh, David, let's go to a couple of questions. I know Terenzio sure. has mentioned there's some hands up. Is texted me, and uh, I know there's some good questions in the Q&A as well. Uh, while we're getting ready for Terenzio to get the hands up, can you just uh, give us a quick update as well? I know that there's many people here who are interested in the criminal charges that are being laid Canada-wide, and uh, we've made... Um, a point not to discuss too fully this situation uh, because, you know, there's always ears that are listening to what we're doing. Um, but there's obviously concern with the work that we have done mm -hmm. again through our chapters, again with your assistance and uh, taking people on in communities within our chapters and helping them to lay uh, private information. Give us a bit of an update where, where that's going. Sure. Um <clears throat> One of the, the concerns I have is the what the Crown is, has come up and done is they're trying to stay as many of these charges as possible. And some of them they're staying before the process hearing, which happens after you lay a charge. It's like a screening hearing just to see if you have some evidence. And it's a very, very, very low test. And um, they're going about trying to stay these charges. And when they stay it before this process hearing, they're violating their own charge approval standard. It's a two-part test that says, is there enough evidence to obtain a conviction, and is it in the public interest? 
how do you make a determination if if there's enough evidence to take it to trial when you haven't even seen the evidence yet? Mm-hmm. That tells me it's politically motivated and they're staying it because they have an agenda and they've been ordered to not let these charges through. That also tells me they are worried. They did not expect these charges coming. Mm-hmm. And some of the charges they've stayed after the fact. We had uh, friends here that laid charges and we went and gave them a whole CD. And I had it structured professionally the same way the Crown gives you disclosure when you uh, when you get charged with an offense. And they got all the information. The Crown prosecutor said to me, the three of us, he said, the, the, the Crown prosecutor that was in court with us has told me that you guys had a very good case. And then they went and stayed the charge anyway right afterwards. We've got two charges coming up anyway in um, January next year. And um, I don't want to give too much more information on that other than to say there's there's two of them that are going to be coming up in January. And there's more coming up in Ontario as well. It's um, it, It's interesting because the test is very, very low to get a summons issued. The evidence is very strong. And... Um, we're running into a problem with the Crown staying it. So one of the things that I'm looking at is to try and get legal relief against the Crown to get the law changed. That if the Crown is going to stay charges, they should be required to give detailed reasons why. Right now they don't. They just stay them and, and you don't know anything. Right. Nobody knows anything. Right. And that violates the principle that justice has to be seen to be done. And it's not just by an accused. It has to be seen by the public and by the informant. And you're not going to see justice is done if you've got all this evidence and a crown comes in and stays it for political purposes. Mm-hmm. So we're optimistic for the future. It's going to take time to get through. But if we had nothing, if we were really doing nothing, the Crown would have made some sort of application to try and prevent all these charges from going through. And right, they're yeah. not. No, they're it's, not. It's, so, it's, yeah, it's been an incredible journey, uh, David. I mean, we started the webinars uh, in the fall of 2021 with you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then strategically, there have been individuals across the country. We weren't going to open the floodgates, uh, you know, because we wanted to see what the courts were doing. And since April, they've been adjourning these cases and trying to work around and probably yeah. going, what do we do? And I believe that there are judges who are sitting who love this country. And mm-hmm. I keep having faith that they're going to find their courageous backbone and they are going to honor the oath to the bench that they've taken and they are going to rule rightly according to the criminal code. So somebody has asked, you know, what are the charges? Uh, We're looking at extortion and intimidation uh, with employees. If you threaten somebody with their job saying you either take this experimental jab or you no longer have a job, that's extortion and intimidation. And uh, so no to the other person who is asking is action for Canada doing these legal actions. We are empowering people. We want Canadians who are in this position, who are prepared to, uh, with the assistance uh, of David and our team, to move forward with criminal charges against their either their employee, their union rep, whomever it is that has caused them uh, to be put on unpaid leave or to lose their job altogether based on extortion and intimidation. And then it is up to the individual to pursue that 
And so we've got a number of cases that have been filed and we've been purposely, you know, just not speaking publicly too much about this uh, because we really believe by being persistent and consistent that we are one day going to come before a judge who um, is willing to rule rightly. And that will open the floodgates, I believe. And, and we're just going to start opening it up to more Canadians. We'll have more women webinars. And uh, mm-hmm. so one other question I want to answer that people ask is, is there a limit? It was over a year. And David, I understand the answer to that is uh, no, there's no limit on indictable cases uh, or charges like extortion and intimidation. That's correct. Yeah, unindictable, there's no limit. <clears throat> and if it's what's called a hybrid charge, meaning it can either go by indictment or summary conviction, mm-hmm. then you can, as a prosecutor, until the Crown takes over, you can proceed by indictment, in which case there would be no, no limit. I advise mm-hmm. everybody, if, if something's happened, because I know people that are going to court in January, they're well within the year period still. So it's best to take it within the year period because the Crown doesn't like to work in indictable offenses or work. So they like to uh, keep it a summary conviction if they can. But mm-hmm. ultimately, the choice is yours. If it's over a year, proceed by indictment. And, right. um, you know, one of the things, if I can just get a comment in, um, one of the things I've told people about these charges is think fundamentally. When your employer comes up to you and he says, you have to get jabbed or you're not going to be able to work here. What he's saying is you have to be criminally assaulted in order to work. And there's no difference. And if he came up and said to somebody, you have to agree every three months to be sexually assaulted in order to work here. There's no difference. An assault is an assault is an assault. And for the employers that come back and they say, well, you know, the health minister has an order. Well, the health minister of your province cannot force the employers to force you to be assaulted either. Mm-hmm. And that's the way they need to think. It doesn't matter whether the vaccines work. They, we know they don't, but it, it doesn't matter whether they work. The point being is they're forcing you to get assaulted. That the Supreme Court of Canada ruled you have the ultimate choice to make. And that's mm-hmm. where we need to focus our resources on is you are not going to tell me to get assaulted in order to work. Right. And that's the way we need to look at it. Yeah, and this is that low-hanging fruit that we've been talking about for some time, right, is that mm-hmm. the government is has been relying on uh, citizens to I- implement their draconian measures. And, of course, an employer feels that to, in order to maintain or a business owner to maintain his business license, he needs to comply or the government will take away his business license. So that owner is willing to interfere and infringe upon your rights if it means he can keep his business open. So it has been a, a horrible uh, campaign mm-hmm. that the government has unleashed upon the citizens, but it still has to come down to personal liability. That business owner is going to have to understand that Extortion and intimidation are very serious offenses, and uh, that as we move forward in this, as the word gets out, we, we don't have a lot of, uh, of uh, Canadians who, who are gamblers, and right that like to have a lot of risk, and, and so liability has to be where we continue to press in on. All right, so Trenzio, can we please? Uh... Yes. All right. So first we have up is Luann. Luann, you should see a message pop up on your screen. And just a friendly reminder for those who would like to raise their hands and ask a question, go down to the bottom of Zoom and raise your hands virtually, and we will put you in the queue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Luann, are you with us? 
You should see a little message okay. pop up on your screen. I'm wondering if she can unmute. Sometimes they have difficulties with that. Okay, maybe we'll go okay. on to the next question while she sorts that out. Our next question is from Jean. Hi, Jean. Can you unmute? I know you were in the chat wanting to ask your question. Oh, Lan says her cat did it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we can go to the next. Uh, Dr. Uh, Galambos. Okay, I know that Jean really wanted to get on there. I was interested. Okay, I, I, I'm good. Oh, I'm Jean, on. there you are. Yay. Yes. Okay. Ask thank, your thank question. Thank you so much. I'm doing. Okay. First of all, first of all, Jean. and of course, I don't want to start crying right now, but I got to tell you, I was there live at the Freedom Convoy. I brought my 12-year-old child because mm -hmm. I knew. Awesome. I knew in my heart. I knew in my mind what was transpiring. Nothing bad happened. This was an event where loving people, Canadians, good, hard-working hard Canadians got together. And without going into too much more detail, Mr. Trudeau totally turned everything upside down, lied through his teeth on national media, and painted the picture as being black and terrorists and just bad people. That is the mm -hmm. furthest from the truth, 100%. Secondly, I'd like to thank both you and David for what you're doing tonight, because believe me, you are definitely, definitely making, you know, us, everyone here, just so happy. Just you're giving us hope is what you're Good. doing. So I want to say thank you very, very much. And I'm sure a lot of other people want to say the same thing. Yeah. Thank you, Jean. Do you, do you have a specific question? <clears throat> I do very quickly. Okay. Uh, I have to be careful of how I word this question because um, legal action is not ruled out right now. Um, I wanted to ask um, David if it's possible, um, is it possible for a Quebec school board um, to take disciplinary measures against a parent committee member? <clears throat> the committee is recognized by the Quebec Education Act and the parent has a right to be on the committee via the same act, the Quebec Education Act, but um, there was a secret meeting held. Um, the parent was not present at that board meeting, if you want to call it that. And a bunch of allegations were uh, splurred out. It was in the agenda prior to the meeting that, uh, what was it, um, uh, an internal rules violation would be discussed. But nothing was mentioned. The member was never notified that it wouldn't be them that are facing these allegations et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, uh, that particular parent member uh, who was representing close to almost a, a third of a million people, uh, English-speaking people in the, in, excuse me, in the um, Quebec education system, um, was booted from uh, different committees um, because they were really making a difference. And they, I believe that they were scaring, petrifying, in fact, the school board because they had a little bit of knowledge uh, about human rights, 24 years of knowledge, exactly. Um, so my question is this. Can the school board have hold a hearing or a meeting where they discuss these allegations and take disciplinary measures against that parent member of the committee without even advising that person that this is going to occur and not even giving the person a chance to be heard prior to taking these actions? Because I've spoken with the lawyer of the school board, uh -huh. 
And this person has told me that procedural fairness and natural justice, those principles don't apply in this circumstance. So that's my question. I'm going to disagree. Um, natural justice and procedural fairness will apply any time, any time that your rights, freedoms, or privileges are affected. You will have a right to be notified and a right to a response, meaningful response. If this parent was part of a committee with the school board and had various rights and powers under the appropriate legislation or uh, act, statute, um, then they have the right, let me rephrase that, they, they have the right and the school board has a legal duty to notify them and let them know what is going to happen if, uh, if action is going to be taken against them, whether it's being booted off the school board or taking punitive action against them that they're not notified of, the lawyer is wrong. If it's a government, yeah. especially if it's a government school board, which they, my opinion, I think, uh, other than it private is. school board, they are. Yeah, thank so you they, very, very the, much. The, the lady would have that right. Yeah. Thank you very, very much, David, because, you know, this yeah. is really, um, it's, it's, it's a heavy burden. And this mm -hmm. person, this attorney keeps saying the school board doesn't have the right to force its opinion on the committee. But I don't, mm -hmm. it, I don't think that matters. What does matter is that they, they know of the injustice and they should be acting without delay to correct it. In my Procedural view. fairness requires that if, if a person legitimately expects a procedure to be followed, then the other party has a, has a duty at law to follow it. And natural justice, audi um, alterum partum, simply means you have an, an absolute right to be heard if your rights and freedoms are being affected. And in my opinion, from what just on the, on the basis of what you said, I think the lawyer is uh, misleading you. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a tough go, right? We had Grant Abbott from uh, uh, Newfoundland and how the mayor and city council were just trying to work him out, remove him. And uh, just, you know, uh, when you get a majority of, I, I want to call it tyrants, on, on any council, um, you know, we can't let just sit back and even in this instance, let them get away with that. So if we have a chapter nearby, Jean, I would suggest you reach out to them, gain some extra support because they need to uh, start getting letters from the public. If it was a committee, I don't know if that committee was voted and if they or if they were appointed by the trustees. Uh, but if it did have a vote involved in it, then that person has a duty and a right to be there unless there was super just cause and it doesn't sound like that's the case um okay uh Terenzio, one more hand and then i'll try to get we'll maybe do a rapid fire how many hands are up right now uh, we have six Okay, how about we set the one-minute clock, and David, Sounds that good. would go for you as well, that between you and the questions, you have one minute, question and answer. All right. <laughs> It'll be a clock coming up. Sounds great. Let's, uh, let's try next, this. Next, we have uh, Dr. Galambos. We're going to bring him back on again. Okay, I can see his mic is unmuted. Dr. Chuck, are you there? Okay, we'll go to the next. No, that's uh, okay. Next person we have is David. Is David? I see an Adam Adam. Oh, there's David, David Grant. Okay. Can you unmute David? No. Yes. There you go. <clears throat> I guess one of the questions I had, people keep referring to the Crown staying a charge. Now, 
some people consider that equal, equivalent to dismiss. Now, in my understanding, dismissing a charge is one action. Staying just means we'll come back to it when we get a chance. Uh, how permanent is a stay in a case like this with these fake uh, politically laid charges? Um, dismissing a then, charge. Oh, I'm sorry. I yeah, thought you were done. Go ahead. Dismissing a charge means it was dismissed by a judge on the merits. If the Crown stays a charge, they have up to one year to relay it. After a year, it's as if the charge was never laid. Okay. All right, next person is Pat. Okay, I, I don't see that that's working. How about Paula? All right, uh, Paula? Okay, I hope you can unmute Paula. I don't know why we're having such bad luck with the uh, unmuting. Mm. Yeah. That's odd. Everybody needs to update your Zoom <laughs> because sometimes <laughs> uh, that actually contributes to not being able to use. It doesn't like look like Paula's working as well. Okay. okay uh, I guess so. Wow. Was there any more yep. or I'm just going to head into uh, the chat? I can go for a few more here. Uh, next, we okay. can go with uh, Marie. Is there is there a problem? Are they being unmuted on on their end from our end? Uh, well, usually whenever we, we whenever we bring someone up, we we send a message to ask them yeah. to unmute. So anybody who has their hands up, please keep in mind and look out for a message to be unmuted, and then we can bring you on. We okay, can go to the seem... next. Okay. Okay. It, it we'll try a few more here, uh, Donna. There Hi. We go. Hi, Donna. Um, hi. Um, I'm just curious, with our law, and compared to the states, I don't know if you um, know, uh, know the case with Simone Gold, the, the American um, doctors, and she was at the, at the rotunda and le legitimately, and then when they charged her, they added another charge um, she was charged with mischief, and then they added another charge. And she said she um, copped to the mischief charge because the other one, if they had have um, gone through with the charge, might have put her in jail for 20 years. When we're charged, can they put any other kind of charge in there that might uh, change someone's mind about accepting guilt uh, in a situation? Yes. Yeah, they, well, they can. can. Um, if you're charged with an offense, there's nothing stopping the crown from laying more charges. If, if especially if new evidence comes to light, the only requirement is they're required to let you know, give you notice. You have to that uh, an, an information form or indictment has to be laid, and you have to get full disclosure and sufficient time to respond as well. But yes, they can. They can definitely go and lay more charges. Okay. Thank you, David. Uh, when a municipality has a vaccine policy, what steps do we take to educate the city staff and council in order to remove their policy and respect people's medical autonomy and respect our privacy? Um, can I actually maybe, I might take that one for a moment. Uh, Sheila, if you could pop in the chat our template, 
under notices of liability, we have template letters as well. And I actually took on the city of Surrey because one of the staff members let me know a year ago, November, that they were going to mandate the jab come January 4th of 2022. And uh, if not, put people on unpaid leave. So right away, the employee served the city manager a notice of liability against the one that's against employer. And I additionally wrote letters to the city manager saying that they were opening themselves up to liability. I provided, the template provides the correspondence I had with them, which you can easily copy and paste. And um, as a result, come January 3rd, they sent out another inter-office memo and they had removed mandatory vaccination and they had removed putting people on unpaid leave. And in fact, this employee who happened to be on, um, he had had an injury in December, so he didn't go back to work until the spring. And when he went back, they also wanted to mandate that he uh, COVID test. And so again, he served the notice of liability to his, uh, to his supervisor. And the supervisor was, oh, I'm just, you know, this is just, you know, the mandate from the city. And it said, doesn't matter. You personally, sir, are violating my rights. And, and we really need to understand. You need to read the notice of liability. You need to read the documentation because you, you gain so much confidence when you go through the process of um, applying it against your employer. You're not going after them as your employer. You're going after them uh, against them as a citizen who is breaking the law. Extortion and intimidation are are illegal. Anyways, as a result, I mean, we had a great win and then in the spring they lifted it, um, but that's not the only city that we've done this with. So please look up the template, find the information, study it, look it over and just go for it. Start engaging the mayor and city council. It comes down to liability. They're opening themselves up to liability. Uh, David, do you have anything to add to that one? Just the same principle that I've <clears throat> that I've mentioned to everybody out here. In addition to liability, you have to take the fundamental principle of no negotiation, and mm-hmm. that's what I like about all your NOLs, Tanya. They're not negotiable. We're you not set asking. out your position, and <laughs> exactly, you're not asking. You're demanding, and you yeah. have the power at law and the right to demand, and that's the position you have to come from. You don't want to be begging. You don't want to be asking or requesting anything. You want to be demanding, which means mm-hmm. you have a right to something, and you're exercising it, and you want to get that out to them in no uncertain terms. Um, so that that's the, the, the best thing that I like about your NOLs. They're a demand on other people to recognize your, your rights, mm-hmm. or they will be held liable. So you got Liability on one hand and accountability as well with it and no negotiation on the other hand. You're not mm-hmm. backing down and, no, and hand in hand. That's what works. Right. Yeah. In all of our emails we send out, we're not uh, having to beg, borrow or barter for our freedoms. They're ours for the taking. And so we need to assert those rights 100%. And anybody that gets in the way of that, you've got to be willing to take those next steps. And that is the beauty of being part of chapters as well, because we have teams that will support you. And there really is strength in numbers. And uh, we do rally around, uh, you know, people. We're very excited to get all our chapters into every community across Canada. I can't wait till our vetting is done done. We're working real hard on that. Okay. So somebody asked, please describe the practicalities of an information and its part in the pre-inquiry private prosecutions, criminal law. Can you repeat that? I don't think I understood the question. Okay. Yeah. Not myself either. Okay. So it says, please describe the practicalities of an information and its part in the pre-inquiry. 
Well, an information is the starting point for all criminal charges that do not go by indictment, and that's the majority of them. So it's it's um, it's like filing a statement of claim on a civil side. On the criminal side, it's called an information form, and it says your name, who you are, and that you're alleging John Doe, who the person is, and the date and time the offense was committed, and, and it's the allegation that the accused will eventually have to plead guilty or not guilty to before it gets uh, before it gets sent to a trial. So that's the starting point is the information. It puts the other person on notice what he's being alleged to have committed that violates the criminal law. Or sometimes uh, provinces will use the same form, so it would be provincial law. And that's just the starting point. Then it goes to the process, what's called the pre-enquete or process hearing. And you have to have some evidence on each element of the offense for a judge to issue a summons or warrant. Most people have no problems getting by there if they've if they've got their evidence together because it's a low threshold it doesn't take much and um, once you get a summons or warrant issued that gets served on the accused and they have to show up to the charges okay thank you david uh here's a question i was working as a security guard at urgent care facility here in my city i'm an official commissioner they claimed i need to be vaccinated and wear a mask what is the ruling regarding my freedoms and rights to work in such a place well number one look at your contract i don't think there's anything in your contract that says that you have to be vaccinated in order to work that's well, and- number one starting point David, let's let's just clarify for a minute because we use the term vaccinated, but this is not a vaccine. It's an inspe- experimental injection, and and so there's a big difference, right, um, in what they're asking people to do right now. Even even for nurses, and sorry to interject here, but you and I have had um, individuals that we were going to proceed with criminal charges for, and they mm-hmm. said, "Oh, well, I signed, you know, um, an agreement stating that I I would take whatever." Um, uh, suggested vac- vaccinations as part of their uh, position being a, a nurse, and but the the clear line was this was this is not a vaccination. It doesn't even qualify as one. It's an experimental yeah. injection, and and you didn't sign up at any point to be a guinea pig. So just as starters. Mm-hmm. But anyways, go ahead. No, your point is well made, and not only that. Even if there was, <clears throat> excuse me, even if there was a point in there about vaccinations, it's not a, a an all encompassing aspect. If there's vaccinations that are only available for dogs, does that mean that you have to take it if the employer tells you, sorry, uh, it says vaccinations? And the answer is clearly no. So there's limits on that. And if there's a threat to your health or danger to your health, especially a reasonable one, then you're not required to to take it. Mm -hmm. And that goes back, all of this goes back though to what I said earlier. Look at it from a fundamental perspective. They cannot force you to be assaulted as a condition of employment. And that's the way you need to tell them. 265 and 266 of the criminal code outline an, an assault. It's a very low test. Touching somebody, inserting somebody something into their body without their consent is an assault under the criminal code. There's, it's been held. It's no doubt about it. And uh, you just need to tell them in no uncertain terms, you're not going to be assaulted in order to work. And if they force you, that would be the position you take them on to, to court, civil and criminal. 
And, you know, further to that, David, I'm going to share my screen for a moment because I told everybody we were updating our notices of liability. And I used to call it a drop the mic letter that was on top of the notice of liability. They're still available on our NOL page. But we decided that since we were going to be updating the every single notice of liability and making it more relevant now to the VAERS report, the number of deaths, uh, the fact that come January, everyone, uh, they're no longer going to be calling this an experimental injection because they said it was experimental until January 2023. Uh, so it no doubt is a deadly one. But um, the reason it's become a more powerful document is because we set out in the Federal Emergency Act. All of this was in all our all of our training regarding the notices of liability previously, but possibly the person that answered this question doesn't know, and maybe others on the show don't know as well. So if they had um, enacted, invoked the Federal Emergency Act, even the Emergency Act says that, and whereas the governor and council in taking such special temporary measures would be subject to the Canadian Charter of Rights and the Canadian Bill of Rights and must have regard to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, particularly with respect to those fundamental rights, this is the important part, that are not to be limited or abridged, even if there is a national emergency. So this whole campaign to convince people we're in a national emergency, you've got to lock down, you can't open your business, you've got to wear a mask, it's all bunk. It's all fraud. It's, it's, there's nothing legitimate to it. So that's a start. And then uh, there are no provisions in any orders of any health minister, doctor, or provincial legislation that can nor pretend that any measures can override charter or other pre-charter constitutional rights. All statutes, orders, bylaws, and acts must be consistent with the Constitution or they have no force and effect. And Section 52.1 says exactly that, that any law that is inconsistent with the provisions of the Constitution is of no force or effect. And then just to uh, finish it, of course, we have our charter rights, life, liberty, and security of the person. But I just wanted to go down to the vaccination part. We did have it originally up there. Might take me a second to find it. But it did say that um, in Canada that we are 100% that vaccinations are not mandatory and cannot be made mandatory because of the Canadian Constitution, which means it doesn't matter if you're a nurse, if you're a security guard, no matter what employee you are, who you are on the face of this earth or living in Canada, it is unlawful to mandate that people take this jab, regardless mm -hmm. if it was effective or not. There is nothing legal about anything going on right now. And so 100%, you can hold your employer uh, to account. Now, David had said it's preferable to work within a year, but we're finding, and you'll probably be able to everybody give testimony of this, people are, a lot of them are just starting to wake up because they're seeing the death, they're seeing the injury, they're saying, okay, why is the government now booster, 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 something's wrong, they're waking up, and now some of them have lost their job over a year ago, can I still, uh, you know, engage my employer? We're saying, yes, you can. Take the notice of liability I've, I've just spoken about and say, uh, email your, your employer. First of all, send it to them registered mail. Don't give them a heads up that it's coming. And you can email them personally, though, to create evidence and say, it has come to my awareness that what you did was illegal, that yeah. you used extortion intimidation and you ended my employment or you put me on unpaid uh, leave 
This is illegal and unlawful. And then they will come back and they'll try to, to defend that position. Now you have evidence that when you decide, once this, this dam starts to break, if you decide that you want to uh, proceed with criminal charges, you are going to have that in, in that evidence. If you speak to them on the phone, record the conversation and have that transcribed. Put it in your folder as evidence. So that's the way that we're preparing people. We don't make any guarantees. We have no idea to know how this is going because it's all unprecedented. But if you are going to have a chance on having a win and getting your back pay and possibly reinstated, this is uh, the best that we can do to get you prepared for that. You know, we were um, we were in court with a lawyer, <clears throat> crown prosecutor today, and a nice guy, and he came up and he, he said, you know, we've been in, I've been a prosecutor 45 years, and he said, if there's one thing I've learned, he said, you can never ever foretell what's going to happen in court, no matter how strong your case. He says, he says, I've seen the strongest cases win, I've seen them fail, and all the times I've been in court, I, I, I as well have come to the conclusion a long time ago that you, you simply can't predict anything when you're dealing with people who are who are evil. Mm-hmm. And um, these orders from the, the federal government and everything they're bringing down, Tanya, is absolutely correct. Um, you, you cannot break the criminal code, pure and simple. And that's no. what they're doing. They're, right. they're, they're it- violating the criminal code. Oh, the other thing I was going to mention, if they've deceived the essence of fraud is deception. If they've deceived you into thinking you have to take that vaccine, you can go back unlimited. Fraud mm-hmm. has no time period because mm-hmm. many times you don't discover the fraud till 30 years later. So that's something we need to keep in mind as well. Um, there may be an element of fraud involved in what the, um, the health ministers and involved in what the employers are doing by deceiving you into getting vaxxed. Um, when you, when you don't have to, of course. So that's another aspect that uh, we can consider in the future. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you for that, David. Uh, uh, question for you. Has the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms been ratified? Here's what I found. This is the person's statement. The Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms remains subject to Section 59, the Constitution Act 1867, uh, endnotes until ratified and fixed by proclamation before coming into force by way of royal assent. Um, I'm sure that you're familiar with this portion I don't need to read on, uh, which was repealed as per the statute revision in 1893 and 1867. Anyways, I know you know all this stuff, so what is your response to this question? Well, Section 59 refers to 23.1a, which is the language thing in Quebec, and um, that needs to be fixed by proclamation. So it just simply means the uh, the language component in Quebec is not going to be there. And um, as for uh, 1893, the British North America Act is still in effect, and um, I've written a long time ago. I written um, I wrote an email dealing with that. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, I wasn't expecting that type of a question tonight, but I can uh, I can deal with it more in the future. Suffice to say that the Statute of Westminster, 1931, clearly references the BNA Act is still in force and effect, and um, and has not been altered by that statute or or anything else. And it's still to this day, it's still an English document. And um, I find that very interesting as well. But um, it's still applicable in Canada as well. And it was interesting, uh, Danielle Smith in uh, Alberta has come out recently. Finally, somebody is saying, look, the BNA Act, now the Constitution Act 1867 says, you can't do these things, federal government. And um, 
just as a as an update for your your listeners, two weeks ago I filed a notice of constitutional challenge against the RCMP. I've been waiting to do that for a long time. They falsified a charge here when I tried to get into Interior Health, and the security stopped me from going in. They filed a falsified a charge of assault. So I filed a constitutional challenge. It was in our weekly email that went out this week. I included a copy, and I'll I'll be putting it up on our website. Um, that the RCMP have no jurisdiction in any of the provinces. And Surrey, B.C. was trying to get rid of them and still is. Alberta is now contemplating getting rid of the RCMP and so are other provinces. And I think it's only a matter of time until the RCMP are back where they should belong working and that's in the Northwest Territories. Yes. But um, that got filed two weeks ago and I have not heard back from Canada or B.C. as of yet. But I, I will be hearing back from them shortly. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah. an interesting thing that you're pursuing there, David. <laughs> People have a lot of mixed feelings about the RCMP. Um, you know, they've, <laughs> they've exposed some um, definitely concerning sides to them in the last two and a half years. Well, beyond that, pretty much ever since Justin Trudeau has been in office, uh, refusing to do proper investigations for his crimes in funding terrorism, allegedly, et cetera, et cetera. There's been many cases uh, that had exceptional evidence to support it. And the man still sits on the throne and, uh, or the boy still sits on the throne. I'm not sure quite what to, to call <laughs> our leader uh, without getting too lizard? disrespectful. I don't know. Is he a lizard, a lizard maybe? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's just an odd situation that we're in. It's frightening, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to to think that this drama queen has made it uh, over seven years. And I've heard a little bit of concerning news that come January, they're potentially calling an election at the federal level. So we'll we'll see where this goes. I want to keep it classy, so I'm not going to talk about Justin Trudeau anymore. Okay, um, how do we get our privacy when cell phones, smart meters, drones, Google Maps, why? being launched on us uh, when we read about 5G health risks. Camera on every corner, software agreements that say they own all of your info. How do we make positive change when these corporations invade our privacy software banks, foreign agents? Well, That's a million-dollar question. We want the answer to. Yeah, a dozen questions in there. Um, first of all, with your cell phones, if, if you want to make sure they're not doing anything with your cell phones, get a flip phone. And problem solved. And and just don't use any of their smartphones. That's to be number one. Number two, you can just restrict yourself to using a home phone. I, I still know people that do that. And, I have um, a home phone. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't afford both of them, so it just ran up too much cost. But um, th- those are the two main things on the phones. As for the other issues, um, Ultimately, I mean, if they got a satellite, I, I, I told people years and years and years, I said, they're spying on you from space and nobody believed me. And then when Google Maps came out, I said, look, I said, do you think this is the best that they can zoom in on you with technology the military has? Mm-hmm. And I said, they can count the hairs on your head. No problem. Yeah. And they'll find out about it. And now that's been verified. And um, to that extent, there there's, you know, as a friend of mine said years ago, do some, uh, you know, if you if there's nothing you can do about it then move on to something you can do something about. So you need to look at each each one of your issues that you've raised and ask the operative question, can I do something? If mm-hmm. yes, what can I do? And then do it. And if there's other aspects in there that you're not sure about, you can do access to information requests to get the information that will allow you to make that decision as well. Trust me, it, it, it won't 
get it overnight. These guys have, have destroyed access, uh, getting it in a reasonable time. But you'll get enough to make a decision on in most cases. And that's about all I can tell you. I, I know a lot of people are claiming on 5G issues, but you know, are the 5G towers the same looking as 4G? I've asked people, differentiate what a 5G tower looks like compared to 4G. Because when 5G was coming out, I was told they had to be every 10 or 15 houses from each other because their signals didn't go very far. And I looked down the streets and I don't see any towers 5 or 10 or 15, 20 houses away. I just don't see any. So if they're going to say 5G is out there, where are they? How do I, how do I know the difference? And how do you, um, how do you answer the fact that they're not it would be my first question how do you identify them and i don't know that okay so i'm 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 going to actually um let people know that uh pre-covid this is one of the issues uh, you know how i've always said covid wasn't the issue pre pre-covid was and the 5g was infiltrating so i did a freedom of information with the city of surrey and uh, they have to provide you all of this information. They may say, and just remember this uh, when you're asking an FOI, if it is of a matter of public interest, then you appeal to them because they're going to want to charge you a fee, but you're going to ask them to waive that fee because it's a matter of public interest. And, you know, it wasn't shocking. I won't say the word shocking. It was upsetting to see that uh, the individual companies that are uh, pushing for the 5G, they start out with this brochure and they found it a, a need to uh, address on page one the co-conspirators, right? The co-conspiracy individuals that say 5G is harmful. And, you know, it was very upsetting because it's, this isn't a, a, a co-conspiracy that, or sorry, not co-conspiracy, I'm getting the term wrong, conspiracy theory that 5G was harmful. Well, 100% it is. And uh, Health Canada has not updated the policy surrounding EMF, uh, the electro, uh, what is it, yeah, electromagnetic fields, uh, the energy that is uh, coming into, you know, that can affect you, uh, that actually goes through your skin. And it's considered a carcinogenic. 5G is considered a carcinogenic because it penetrates your skin. Trust me, it's harmful. So we have a lot of uh, uh, parents across the country and a, an amazing organization called CAST. And they are fighting to even get the Wi-Fi out of schools and back to hardwiring things so that our kids are not uh, affected by this. Kids are coming home with bleeding noses, they're having headaches, and it is from being inundated with this constant energy in the air. And um, I need to, if I had more time, and this is why it's important to have the chapters, because we want to have a division <coughs> that is addressing this with the mayors and city councils to get it overturned and removed. I can feel it. I can feel that the city of Surrey are putting these huge towers up. Everybody sees them going on, and um, it is having a ter terrible detrimental effect on people's health, and it is compounding uh, the ar already um, critical situation people are in with their health, having gotten the jab as well. So it's a very serious issue. Health Canada knows it is, but they are ignoring all appeals to have the uh, version of this policy updated uh, to get into the new era of 2022 and, and the 5G technology. The so other this issue is what, you can yeah. um, 
I'm sorry, go ahead. My apologies. No, no, I was just going to finish by this is why it's so important to have the uh, chapters and uh, citizens working together to replace the individuals that are sitting in uh, council who are just easily going along with all of this. And David, you just in finishing too, like on it, mm-hmm. you brought up a good point. Uh, we have become so conditioned. We're spoiled. We as a nation, we're rich, we're spoiled. We like things easy. And so we all heard about, was it called Simon's, this store across Canada that has just put out this commercial about euthanasia, promoting euthanasia. And, and so people are willing to boycott Simon's. To be honest, I'd never heard of them before. I think we only have one store in Vancouver. But the point is, is that are we serious about this? Are we serious that we would boycott this company and put them under? And then it would extend. Are you really serious to give up your Costco membership? Could we put Costco under as a nation? They are a corporation that was willing to go along lockstep with the government in administering these diabolical restrictions. I, I lost my membership because I, I had stood up. Some of you have seen my video. I stood up to them and I said, no, it's uh, not legal. You have no right to force me to wear a mask. And there was others in the store. But are we willing to work together to do this? Are we willing to cancel our cable? Can you imagine if everybody just canceled a cable and got rid of their TV? We can hurt them financially, right? But we're just all too comfortable. And if we're going to get initiatives going, I can't wait to grow Action for Canada much larger than it is. We got campaigns. We press a button. Everybody in the nation is working unified together to get this done. Let's get this over together. Anyways, David, back to you. I just wanted to mention, too, um, one of the things you can do if you're concerned is to do an access request and ask for um, a list of locations where 5G towers are within a mile of your house or a kilometer of your house and uh, when they were installed. And that will give you an idea if there's anything within your house. Somebody mentioned in a chat that they're in the uh, LED lights on the street. If that's the case, um, it seems to me that it'd be kind of small to put in there. Uh, I don't know if it would fit, but notwithstanding, who knows with technology what they're going to shrink it to. But that would be the starting point. Do an access request and you want to know where 5G towers are within a kilometer of your house or at every location within, uh, within your city. And then you can make a determination where they are and what they're doing as well. Right. So, yeah. And that's what I had done. So I, I received every location they had said at that point, it was a few years ago that they hadn't uh, turned 5G on. But we know through COVID, all of these new towers were going up. So I know it's 100% active, but I just haven't had an opportunity to look into it. So uh, we need teams. We need teams of people to pick what their greatest interest is and get working on it. I believe we're going to have to start creating uh, liability notices. It's awfully hard, right? They've put these towers in and we've had reports or there's actual reports of people in the neighborhood. This is pre-COVID, pre-jab of, of uh, it, um, advanced uh, cancers. And it's not by coincidence. It's because of these towers. And uh, so we need to get serious about this. But the government has intentionally, they, they have thrown all of this at us in order to create chaos in order for it to seem so large, we can't deal with it. And so I just want to bring it all down right now. (laughs) Everybody take a deep breath. And, you know, this is the beauty of what Action for Canada is doing. We're picking our battles. 
We find it's very important to go after the soji because with it, we want to tear down critical race theory and climate change because this is Marxist propaganda that's sexualizing our children and, you know, all the rest of it. And uh, they're scaring children and then looking at the government as the one with all the answers, turning them against their parents, causing them to hate their country. That's, that's not what we want for our children. I love Canada. I love the country that I grew up in. I don't like what's going on right now, but that's not Canada. That's the people running this country. And, and so we got to protect our children. They're going after, as we said, the climate change. They're going after all the ceded territories for indigenous rights. It's garbage. It's, it's not real. It's not right. But they are um, uh, causing another group that they are, uh, what do you call that, uh, victimizing again in order to move towards the global agenda 2030, 2050, that you will have nothing and be grateful. And so the ceded territory, all of this language, victimizing the indigenous people is for the very specific right to advance another agenda. Don't trust anything the government's doing. So we got to pick our battles. We got to strategically move as an organization together. That's what we're working on. And we need everybody's help to do that. So David, I know there was a ton of other questions and um, it's, it's difficult you know, because uh, we can't answer them all. But it's been amazing ha having you on, engaging in conversation. We hope that this was of benefit to man many, many people. And uh, so in closing for this evening, uh, would you say something to our viewers? Well, I'll show you a screen. Can I show you a comment on my screen? Because I think it says it Absolutely. all. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can see it. Yep. Nope, we can't see David, it David, you just uh, have to uh, share your screen in Zoom. In, okay, share screen. Let's do that. And uh, where are you? Let's go here. And As David's setting that up, right everybody hold off too because uh, we're gonna. I'm going to talk about what's going on next week on Power Hour, and I want to make sure that we close with this beautiful, encouraging verse that I have. All right, there we are. I, I think the civil disobedience page says it all, number 1168 from our presentation. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a time when you have to answer to your conscience, and that time is now. Mm. That time is now. Yeah. In all aspects of life. Yes. So I well, just wanted to show you that. It really should be our driving force every day to live a moral and ethically right, uh, you know, as an individual and then mm -hmm. inspire others to do the same. And uh, so, David, thank you for that. You inspire us to be better people and you equip us to be stronger Thanks. people. <laughs> and uh, this whole Empower Hour is about empowering Canadians. And I just want to thank you because I, I would 100% I am confident that everybody attended tonight and who will see this video in the future is, is going to be empowered and stronger and really part of this growing army across Canada to take back Canada and to maintain our freedoms and democracy. So thank you, my friend, and we will see you again. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm grateful. All right. Thank you, everybody. Boy, the, the huge crowd of you remained with us for this show tonight. Um, we just believe it is a, a, a number one 
right? I know there's a lot of shows out there and a lot of wonderful organizations, but they're educating you. And I always say they're educating you, possibly scaring the bejeebers out of you, and you don't know what else to do about it. And so the point of action for Canada is we're unique in that we take it the step further. We actually equip you with resources, uh, webinars, campaigns, informational shows like this to make sure that you are empowered and that you can walk out your freedom daily and that you can become a conduit for others to do the same thing. So we're very excited that you joined us tonight. Next week, I am very happy to say that uh, it's almost been a year, it was January of this year, that we brought on our chapter leaders, many of them who gave uh, firsthand accounts of successes that they are experiencing because of applying the Action for Canada campaigns in their communities. And we just think this is going to be very encouraging, again, very empowering and very helpful. And uh, so join us next week on the Empower Hour. And then, Terenzio, would you please bring up it's actually, uh, it's not just one verse. It's all of Psalm, Psalm 91. Could you make that a little bit bigger by chance <laughs> for those of us who are hard to see? Okay. All right. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, Though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. And see how the wicked are punished. Oops, sorry. Uh, just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. And when I was reading that verse earlier today, I, I was just, I felt again encouraged, you know, that we would, we would trample upon scorpions and we wouldn't be injured. And that's what I feel like by, by exposing the evil in the land. We are trampling on scorpions. And uh, by truth, you know what? The truth is what set, shall set us free. But this verse in Psalms was also very clear that it was those who, who call God their own, right? And God calls them their own. It's those who trust in the Lord. And last week I talked about it. It's just a, you know, not a matter that if you're a good person, you go to heaven when this life is done. God says in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
And that doesn't mean that when you accept Jesus Christ into your life to be Lord and Savior, you actually give God the wheel in your life instead of trying to do it all yourself, right? He just fills you up with his Holy Spirit when you say, you know what, God, I've sinned against you. I've lived a life apart from you, and I'm tired of that. I'm asking you to be Lord and Savior of my life. So please come in my life and, do, and, and be part of my life today. I give you my life. I give you the wheel. And then that is you professing that Jesus Christ died on that cross for you, and you are then provided and given, blessed with eternal salvation. But you are also blessed with the protections that God has talked about in this verse. Now, it also says in the Bible that in this life we will have troubles, but he has overcome the world. And so what this means is, some of you know my testimony. I went through some very, very difficult years. There was death and illness, my house getting broken into and the dog dying in my arms. And, you know, it it just like, it went on for years and years and years. I, I wasn't a bad person. I was thinking, I don't deserve this. But you know what? I was a quiet, shy person. And in the capacity that God wanted to use me, he had to put me through the refining fire so that I could lead this challenge today and be here for Canadians. That's not that I'm doing this in my own power and strength. God had prepared me, but I also didn't point my finger at him and hate him and say, why am I going through all these hard troubles? It says to be thankful in all things. And I did that through my troubles. Even when I was on my knees weeping, I was like, God, thank you. I know you're doing something greater for my good and for your glory. And that's what we're here for is for God's glory. And God has given us free will so that we can either deny him or that we can accept him and follow him. I've made a choice in my own personal life to accept and follow him. And I've been deeply blessed because of it. Doesn't mean my life was easy. Okay. It was very tough at times, but I trusted him through the valleys. And some of you are going through valleys today and you're, you're not a Christian. You haven't given your life over to God. What is stopping you from doing that today? Right? Don't do this on your own. You can't. Because I know that it was only through God where people say, how can you keep going on? And I says, because I know God and I trust him and he's got something else in store. And you can do that today too. So Sheila will pop the uh, prayer line in the chat. We also, if you're watching this uh, as a video afterwards presentation, we'll have it in the description. And if you've made a choice today that you realize you are nothing without Christ in your life, you're not managing And he can easily just even turn your mind around so that you can cope, that you can get through this. But you'll also become part of a community. And then you're also securing your salvation. You know where you're going. And there is no strength that you can gain outside of a life with Christ. Trust me on that, I know. Anyways, my friends, thank you for joining us tonight. God bless you and God bless Canada.
and those with virtuous hearts will pursue it. You have a virtuous heart if you are here today pursuing freedom and righteousness. And then verse 23 comes along with a promise. God says he will turn the sins of evil people back on them. He will destroy them for their sins. I take great comfort in that because I serve a mighty I'm going to say God bless you and God bless Canada. Yeah.